0: Just because God is patient doesn't mean he's impotent. He will step in sometime into human history. And God gave her time to repent because God would always rather correct than condemn. God would always rather pardon than to punish.
1: Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogie, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. Today we conclude our look at the church at Thyatira, the fourth in a series of seven churches Jesus addresses in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation. We've noted that in his messages to these seven churches of Asia Minor, Jesus would oftentimes commend the churches for certain qualities, but condemn them for others. And in the case of Thyatira, they had been commended for their love, faith, service, and perseverance. But as we pick up today, we see this congregation being condemned for not rebuking a woman named Jezebel. This woman called herself a prophetess, and she was given the name because she was so much like the wife of King Ahab, who's addressed in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, a strong woman who led the people of Israel away from worshiping the one true God.
0: So Jezebel, the daughter of a pagan king, gets Israel to worship Baal, the fertility god. And so God raised up Elijah. Remember him? there on top of Mount Carmel or Mount Carmel. And uh, he says you cannot mix Baal worship with Jehovah worship. Remember 1 Kings 18.21? How long will you hesitate, he says to the people, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord, all caps, if Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. Because of Ahab's weakness, she very quickly has freedom to introduce wickedness. And Jesus repeatedly tells us, you cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve two masters at the same time. You're going to serve one or the other. There is no middle ground. The same could be said of other religions and cults in our world today. If there was ever a woman who was inspired by the devil, if not inhabited by a demon herself, it was Jezebel. And Paul tells us in the New Testament that in the latter times, there will be doctrines of demons. Demons will be behind some teachings. Take Mormonism, for instance. You meet a Mormon, and they're so crafty, just like the devil describes himself, uh, he's, uh, God describes him as an angel of light. And so when you ask them, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Of course we believe he's the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. But Son of God is with a small s. You're a Son of God, you're a daughter of God. We're all sons and daughters of God, but not God the Son. And so their strategy, I think it's been eight or nine years now, they said we're going to mix in with the evangelicals. And now these dear Mormons, are mixing in with the evangelicals even at some of their conferences and it's an evil and God's people need to be on alert. Last Sunday, just last Sunday, one of the bishops of the United Methodist Church ordained a transgender person to be a deacon. Now deacons are a little bit different in the UM church than they are say in our church. We follow the biblical pattern. They don't. In either case, uh, they are like preachers. Many of the pastors are really technically deacons. And so Sally Dick uh, went ahead and ordained her. And of course, you know, if you're transgender, is your name Mary or Mike? I don't know. <laughs> you know, you're transgender. So they, she calls herself M., and when you describe a transgender person, it's not he or she, it's they or there, the plural pronoun. So they changed the words from the book of discipline when she laid hands on her. She said, pour out your Holy Spirit upon them. Send them, not him or her, send them now to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, to announce the reign of God and to equip the church for ministry. Now they did not discipline this bishop. Because according to the book of Discipline, which the United Methodist Church uses, because this woman was not, she was a former lesbian. She said, I'm not sure, first she was a heterosexual, then she, which we all are when we're born, by the way. And, and then she becomes a lesbian, and then she's confused, so she becomes transgender. But because she supposedly is not living with another woman or whatever, then it's okay, and they've accepted it. Now, right now, in the church in South Carolina, the United Methodist Church in South Carolina, I read to you the letter from the bishop a few months ago, and it was expressive not just of his desire, but of churches across America, bishops across America, that the United Methodist Church is to pray for wisdom as to whether or not we should ordain homosexual or transgender people. They're already doing it, so I'm not sure what they're praying about. But you know, the rationalists. look, we were wrong once on slavery and black people. Maybe we're wrong on transgender people. Look, if I were black, I would come up out of my seat and say, how dare you? How dare you even compare transgenderism to the civil rights movement? There is no comparison at all. This is an evil beyond evil. Now look, I want transgender, homosexual, drunks, fornicators, adulterers that come to this church, and we will welcome you and embrace you with open arms, but we're not going to change Jesus' standard for you to become a member. We want you to repent. We want you to believe on the Lord Jesus, and he will forgive you. Now, the United Methodist Church is so far away today. It's the third largest denomination in America, Roman Catholic, Southern Baptists, United Methodists. It's totally apostate today. If you are a Christian today and you give a dime to the United Methodist Church, you're giving a portion of that dime to promote some very evil things. You should leave. You say, I can't leave. I grew up in this church. My grandmother was in the church. My great-grandmother was, my great-great-grandmother was in the church. They're all buried out back. Look, if grandma could get up and leave, she would, but you can, and you ought to. You ought to. Now, listen, we're not talking here about a church. This is a church, the malignancy was started, and that's where it will end. But God wants them to deal with the malignancy now. Some, most of you were very supportive of the elders, and let me say thank you for that. When we decided to take our radio station out of Moody Broadcasting, and we did it on the basis of a decision they made, they said it was okay to drink, smoke, and gamble in moderation. Now forget the drinking issue today. I know it's fashionable, you know, especially in the reform movement. Go ahead, have a glass of wine with your beer and all this nonsense. Forget the fact that it causes the brother to stumble, has the appearance of evil, doesn't glorify God, and would be classified as strong drink and therefore forbidden unless you're a dying man and you give it as a painkiller like you would give morphine. Forget that. That's a sermon in itself. Hmm. But just take Smoking. I mean, one of the leaders in the reform movement who taught it's okay to smoke in moderation, he's on oxygen right now and can't leave his home. And they're encouraging these young men and women to engage in these things. And so when Moody said that, we said, no, we're done. We wrote and pleaded with him. Look, my own seminary They waited until Dr. Pentecost and Dr. Howard Hendricks were both dead. And now their policy for 90 years didn't reflect biblical truth. And we were wrong. And so now it's okay. And the rationale is if we're going to get these young professors that we need, then we need to lift the standards. Look, you don't want those kinds of professors if that's what it takes to get them. And so they had this Jezebel type of woman. How long? How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If Yahweh is Lord, follow him, if Baal, follow him. Now most of these folks were not doing that. Most of these folks were growing and so Jesus commends the majority for not following the deep things of Satan. In fact, when you meet the living God, the pattern is your life will change. Listen to 1 John 3, little children. John writes this in his first letter. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. Just as he is righteous, the one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. The Bible teaches that when you're born again, one of the evidences is is that the direction of your life changes. Certainly a Christian can fall into any kind of sin. And some of the saints in Thyatira, beyond the tares that were in the church, had fallen into sin. But the general principle is that when you receive Jesus as your Lord, your life changes, and if your life hasn't changed, it just meant you've never received him. You say, oh, well, I'm a Christian. I, I teach Sunday school, and I share my faith. Jesus said in the end, there will be people who say, I preached in your name. I did miracles in your name. I cast out demons in your name, but I never, ever, ever knew you. And so he now highlights the evil behind her life in ministry. Here's the problem. Sometimes leaders, sometimes pastors, sometimes church members, they just want to avoid confrontation. It's no fun. Who wants to confront someone? It's no fun. But it's our responsibility to the sheep. Oh, I'd rather not get involved. Don't want to be controversial. We'll just look the other way. And Jesus says, listen, she teaches and leads my bond servants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols." Now, understand it in the context of these trade guilds here in the city. A trade guild was more than a modern union. It was as much religious as it was an organization for commercial purposes. And because they had worshipped in the city a number of false gods, if your business was not doing well, they traced it back to a lack of worship to the God that signified that trade guild. We have literature outside of the Bible that tells us what they did when they had their meetings. They took a, a portion of wine and they poured it on a rock and it went up to their goddess or God is a sweet aroma. They, they took things that were recorded in Torah and they manipulated it. And that's what Satan often does. And then they had a fellowship meal. And then after the fellowship meal, they drank and drank until they could not stand and it all ended in an orgy. Now, Christians, of course, could not participate in that. They couldn't eat a meal to a false god. Uh, They couldn't rationalize, well this is just a, a mere formality. No, they had to make a choice and with that choice came consequences. So how did this lady pull it off in this church? Remember, she calls herself a prophetess. Every cult, Every aberrant doctrine typically is built on some dream, some vision, some extra book beyond the 66 books of the Bible, or there's a taking away, or an adding, or manipulation to the book that God has given us. Maybe she cited 1 Corinthians 8. Hey, look, the Apostle Paul said, There's no such thing as an idol of the world in the world, there's only one God but one. It is true that Paul said that, but he also said in that same chapter that a believer could not knowingly eat a meal that was involved in the worship of a false god without participating in demonic influence in the table of demons. So maybe she said, look, Paul said an idol is nothing. You can salute that pagan deity and still be a good Christian. After all, we're free and we're under grace. And so the Jezebel teaching was a permissive teaching, that you could sin with impunity. But as Proverbs says, a man cannot take coal to his bosom without being burned. That's the essence of all of Satan's deception. There's no consequence. You shall not die. And so they tolerated this woman Jezebel. And maybe they did it in the name of love because they were a church known for love. It's possible to have a warm heart and a soft head. No doubt, some of these Christians did. Some people probably reasoned, well, you know, we don't wanna be too narrow. Uh, You know, after all, Jezebel's a nice person. Look, I've met a lot of false teachers who are some of the nicest people I've ever met. Oh, she's a nice person, and we don't have to cross every T and dot every I just alike. But Paul said in Titus 3, reject a factious man after a first and second warning knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning being self-condemned. John wrote in his second letter, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Please know there is nothing wrong with a Christian who says you cannot teach this, you cannot say this, you cannot practice this, and be consistent with the Word of God. If it doesn't square with the Word of God, don't do it. But no doubt, this woman said, look, I'm a prophetess, I'm more educated than you. I am spiritual, I am deeper than you are. And Jesus says, really what she is into is the deep things of Satan Satan. No doubt some rationalize. Look, Paul said if a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. We've got to provide for our family. And if we don't uh, worship in this trade guild and do what they ask, we'll lose our job and our, and our recognition and our, and our customers in the community and we'll be done and we won't be able to feed our family and we'll die. No, you don't have to eat to live. If you need to die for Jesus, then you die for Jesus. Now the general spirit of this church is they had tolerated this woman. And God warns, a little leaven leavens the whole dump. So beyond their toleration, Christ also disliked their apathy toward the Jezebel heresy. He disliked their apathy apathy toward this heresy. Again, verse 21, I gave her time to repent. And she does not want to repent of her immorality. Now here's a picture of God's marvelous grace. He didn't immediately judge her. He gave her time to repent and don't confuse, as Peter says, the patience of God, his long suffering with the fact that he doesn't care about what this world is doing. Just because God is patient doesn't mean he's impotent. He will step in sometime into human history and God gave her time to repent because God would always rather correct than condemn. God would always rather pardon than to punish. And so the time for repentance had now ended. And let me just say parenthetically, if I read the New Testament right, the hottest part of hell are for those leaders who will allow gross error in the church and then to teach it. For the false teachers, like Jezebel. And God was long suffering. He wanted her to repent. Verse 22, Behold, I will throw her on a bed. The time of retribution had come. I had thrown her on a bed, literally, or here, I have thrown her on a bed of sickness. And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. Now, adultery. There's two forms in the New Testament, literal, physical, In spiritual adultery, when you give your life to Jesus, you are married to Jesus. There are seven figures. This would be a great study if you haven't done it before. Go through the seven figures that God gives of Christ to his church. The shepherd, the sheep, the vine, the branches. Well, one of them is the bride and the bridegroom. He's the bridegroom. We're the bride. And so when you give your life to Jesus, you're married to Jesus. That's why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 11, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betroth you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you a pure virgin. James will write, you adulteress, do you not know that friendship with the world its values, its hostility toward God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Being saved is a lot like being married because you get married, you take some vows, and you assume some responsibilities. Even so, at your baptism, you confess the same thing, that Jesus is Lord. And some were committing physical adultery, no doubt, when they gave themselves to wine at these trade guilds. That's what wine does when you get boozed up. It causes you to become naked, the prophet Habakkuk says. You will do things that otherwise you would not do. That's why these Christians who advocate wine, my son, one of my sons was telling me at the church he's in, he said, Dad, unfortunately most of the people drink. He says, I've yet to see some of my friends who haven't had too much at some time or another. That's what it does. Oh, I can control it. Sure you can. And so Jesus speaks of physical adultery and spiritual adultery. Friendship with the world's values is to commit spiritual adultery because you can't serve two bridegrooms. You must serve one or the other. Now the Greek New Testament just says, I'll throw you on a bed. But the word that's used trying to bring out the nuance, some of the translations say a sick bed or a bed of violent illness. And then he says that um, not only will she be thrown on the bed, but also those who commit adultery with her, those who ascribe to her teaching. And Jesus referred to this coming time of great tribulation. There's coming a time when God will take out his church and there will be great tribulation upon the earth. And there are some people in the church who tolerated the sin, some who had even fallen into it, but some were just tears. And they're going on to a sick bed of judgment. Oh, you like adultery? I'll give you a bed of adultery. I'll give you a bed of sickness, a bed of violent sickness like you've never seen. And when the rapture of the church takes place, the true saints will be gone and others will be left behind. I will strike her children, the Bible says, I will kill her children with pestilence. Literally, I will kill her children dead. It's the word thanatos. You know what thanatology is. It's the study of death. It comes right into English. I will kill her children with death. And the death that Jesus is referring to is spiritual death. We will study it later on. The second death, Revelation 20, verse 12, and the deeds, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the book according to their deeds. Why will God of the great white throne judgment judge all the loss of all time according to their deeds? Because their deeds will show whether or not they know Jesus. It will reveal what's in their heart. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life and no one's name at that judgment is found, they were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. It's the eternal death. And I will give to each one according to your deeds. Now, just very quickly, I'll just briefly comment what he decided about this church. Two things, two encouraging truths. First, that the righteous were to maintain their testimony. The righteous were to maintain their testimony. We read now in verse 24, but I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, praise the Lord, not everyone followed, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. The promise of putting no other burden on them is a summary of just how simple his request is. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christ's way is not burdensome. John will write, in 1 John 5, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. If you know Jesus, they are a delight. Now, Satan may deceive you for a time that you've been ripped off, but it's a pleasure to follow the living God. Nevertheless, what you have, he says, hold fast until I come. Just keep on obeying me. Don't step away. Just Keep plugging away because when you get to heaven, there's an evaluation. And then secondly, the righteous will be rewarded for their testimony. Rewards will be different. We'll study this further in the Revelation when we get to heaven. Heaven is wonderful for all who go, but it's not the same for all who go. Verse 26, he who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. That's one of the rewards the reward to rule, authority over the nations. And Jesus quotes here in verse 27, Psalm 2. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as all I also have received authority from my Father. So he's giving us a promise. We're going to reign with him because Messiah is coming back to rule and to reign. 2 Timothy 2 says we will reign with him. Revelation 5.10 says he will reign upon the earth. And Revelation 24 says that we will reign with Christ for a thousand years. It's one of the blessings that God gives to the faithful believer. And I will give him, verse 28, notice, the morning star. Now, in some of your translations, morning star is capitalized. And that's okay. Remember, in the original Greek manuscripts, the oldest, everything's in Capitals. Some of the old, the, the newer ones, so to speak, that are centuries old, millennia old, they're all lowercase, but the original all caps. So the translator has to discern is this a proper noun like God, where we capitalize it or not, and context determines it. But I think it's correct to capitalize it as morning star, because later on in the Revelation 22 16, Jesus referred himself as the bright and morning star. Listen, this is a great promise. What is greater than the presence of Jesus Christ? What makes heaven so precious is not the streets of gold, not your loved ones whom you long to see, but when you will see Jesus. It's a beautiful analogy to call Christ the bright and morning star. He is going to come at the darkest time in human history. And the shadows of darkness are already upon us, but it's going to get a lot darker, especially after the church is gone. And Jesus is encouraging these saints, don't let up, don't back down, don't let down until you're taken up. Follow him, follow me with all of your heart. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I remember reading the historical record of the wealthy Roman who had a lavish estate and he left everything he had to his servant Marcellus. And when that wealthy Roman died, he wrote in his will, which we have, you can read it. Because he had some kind of a dispute with his son, he left nothing to his son but one thing and everything to his slave. His will reads, I left my entire estate to my slave Marcellus to my son I leave him only one thing. He can choose any one thing from my estate that he wants, but that is all." And so his son very, said very well, I choose Marcellus. <laughs> when you choose Jesus, you get everything. And there's no wiser choice than that, not only for salvation, but for sanctification. The cheap substitutes of this world will never satisfy the deepest longing of your soul. Choose him. It's either Jesus or Jezebel. You cannot serve two masters. Holy Father, thank you today for your word that you've given us. May we have ears to hear and wills to respond. I pray today for someone listening in the sound of my voice who has never received Jesus as Lord. They may profess to know him, but as your word says, by their deeds, they deny him. Help them to realize that salvation is not a reward to the righteous, it is a gift to the guilty to the man, to the woman, to the boy or girl that will admit that they are spiritually, morally bankrupt, that they fall far short of the glory of God necessary to enter the kingdom of God. But thank you as a gift, you will give it to anyone who will come and place their confidence in the one who died for all of our sin. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.
1: To listen again to today's message, Jesus or Jezebel, part of our study from the book of Revelation, Use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV7. Tomorrow we begin a look at the church at Sardis as we continue our study in the Revelation. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.